Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, another weekend in the books. The NFL season, a couple of surprises. Seattle getting drilled in Buffalo. I mean, they rallied and made it a 10-point game. And Seattle, we knew your defense wasn't very good, but 44 points. Buffalo came out and basically decided to throw the ball in every down. Your pass rush is so bad. Your pass defense is so bad. We're going to throw it every down. We're not going to give you a single break. They ran Zach Moss twice in the first 26 snaps. And actually, he picked up 13 yards on two carries. So he's averaging six and a half yards a pop. But they averaged, Oh, and there was one other rush. Um, Allen ran the ball one time. And other than that, it was 23 pass plays and three run plays. And they had 24 points. <laughs> so like... Your pass defense is so bad, we're not letting you off the hook. And I know Russell Wilson's line wasn't good. He had four turnovers, and that's certainly a factor. But the defense is bad, and they got no run game. Uh, Chris Carson is out. He's got a foot injury. When they get him back, maybe they'll have a run injury, control the clock, keep the defense off the field, all that kind of stuff. But right now, it is all on Russell Wilson in the passing game. And, you know, traveling to Buffalo and playing a good team, and it was too much, so they get beat. Uh, and speaking of getting beat, what happened to Tampa Bay? I wasn't surprised when they lost to the Saints week one. You know, they got so many new guys, you have to come together. I thought they were trending in the right direction, and I thought the Saints, there were several weeks where the Saints won, but won ugly, looked like they were wobbling. I thought the Saints were going to get beat. Got that one wrong. That was all, all Saints all the time, is they just run the Bucks right off the field. That was a dominant performance uh, by the Saints. And... Uh, Brady Papinga's out there on, on Twitter saying that um, the, uh, the, the bottom line is looks like a team with chemistry issues. You know, Did they introduce Antonio Brown and wreck the chemistry in the locker room? He didn't say that, but that seemed to be what he was, uh, what he was hinting at right there. All right, we'll get to more on the NFL uh, coming up, some of the other games. The Steelers win again, but man, when Ben Roethlisberger is limping, you've got to be holding your breath. I mean, they won the game, but you got to be holding your breath. Uh, and, and Kansas City wins again as well. So some of the big dogs keep rolling. Uh, the college football news, the Utes game with UCLA has been moved to Saturday. Now, Mark Harlan, I think, is supposed to um, issue a statement or address the media or, I don't know, communicate somehow with the outside world. Uh, we don't know a lot of what is going on. After our show ended on Friday, we got the news that the Ute game on Saturday was off because of positive COVID tests and another group of athletes um, who had to go through contact tracing. We weren't given any names, which is fine, but we weren't given any numbers. That was a little surprising. But you can do the math. They said they didn't have 53 players available. So you get up to 85 scholarship players. If you don't have 53 scholarship players available, that's 32, right? And we don't know if it was more than that. Um, But now apparently the Utah-UCLA game is on. We don't have any official thing from the youth will probably hear something but what we have is the statement that the game's rescheduled so 8 30 saturday night it was supposed to be a friday night game now do the youths have some guys who are going to come out of the contact tracing of the protocol on friday or saturday morning um that'd be my guess maybe we'll hear more later today but in any case 8 30 uh, i don't know if other games will get scheduled it's supposed to be 8 30 on fs1 and they got a game at nine o'clock on fs1 so i assume all that is is being dealt with and hopefully we'll get some clarity here later today All right, there you go. DJ and PK, got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from some of the Cougars after they blow the Boise State Broncos off the field. Just annihilate them. That's coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. BYU up 45-3. to They win the game at Boise State 51-17. to A signature victory thrashing the Broncos, who presumably will now go on and have a good season. Now, I know Boise State was missing some guys, and they were starting their second-string quarterback. It was very good, Jack Sears, the USC transfer. Uh, and he ran a quarterback sneak and got a concussion, so they had to go to the third-string guy. Um, and that, that, in part, explains what happened, but that doesn't explain how BYU scored on every possession coming out of the locker room. They scored on five straight possessions to turn a 16-3 lead into a 51-17 lead. Uh, That was really impressive. And, you know, the first half, they scored three times, but it definitely felt like they left points on the field there. You know, twice the defense got turnovers and it gave them short fields and BYU came up empty. You know, and still they were up by sixteen to three at the half, but they just blew that thing open with five straight touchdowns. All right, let's hear from the Cougars now as they uh, discuss their victory. What went right? Neil Pau scored the next to last touchdown. Here he is. Neil, you were able to come out and make some big catches early on and kind of get the kind of help keep get that offense rolling a little bit. How nice yeah. was it to be able to you know kind of be a spark there early on in the game and kind of get things started? Uh. I mean, whenever you catch the ball as a receiver, you're just super happy. I think the not just the matchup, but it was the coverage that was favorable to me this game compared to the past seven games. So Zach just kept coming to me, and I'm glad I was able to come down with the, the balls that he threw. Okay, let's go Norma. Before you guys ended up having to um, punt um, in the fourth quarter, you guys scored a consecutive six touchdowns. What do you have to say just about the offensive efficiency that you guys were showing in the second half? Um, I don't know. It's a team effort. Um, I think we did a great job of just coming out and not letting off the gas. Um, although we were up at half, we wanted to do more and we know when we knew that we could. So that was our mindset at halftime. And then when we came, um, started the second half, that was just continue to keep the foot on the gas. So happy everyone came out and did what we were supposed to do. We knew we, we, we could do it, but glad we were able to do it. Go ahead, Sam. There we go. <clears throat> Neil, um, you talked about keeping the foot on the gas there for, for this game. How important was it for you guys to make that kind of a statement, you know, to kind of put up the style points, knowing that maybe, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks on the East Coast that don't get to see you guys when you play this late. Was it important for you guys to make this kind of a statement tonight? I think we wanted to make it a statement, uh, show the kind of the team that we truly are. Uh, we're still not giving the credit that we deserve, but again, we're going to focus on us and focus what we can do to get better each and every week. But on the back of our minds, we know that we have to put up the style points and put up those things necessary to not only move up in the rankings and hopefully fulfill some of those dreams that we want. Um, so we knew it was a statement game and I'm happy that everyone came out and played the way that we knew we can play. Let's go Maxwell and Jared. Neil, BYU's performed um, really well in the red zone this season, especially compared to some of the seasons past. What what would you say um, – how, how would you speak to that success and what would you say has led to that success this season? Um, I think it's just maturity, maturity across the group. Um, I think we're able to throw in more formations and just run 
11 personnel, kind of three receiver sets. We're able to get down in 23 packages and just run the ball with uh, with Mason or with Tyler or Beanie, whatever it is. So we're able to change it up. Um, but I think it's just maturity across the board. We understand when we get down there, we have to be even more consistent than we are when we're not a, not in the red zone. Neil, Kalani's mantra this entire season is, hey, we just want to get better. We're not worried about the rankings or the Heisman or any of these types of things. And every every test we've seen, you guys have passed, so, you know, the, the game tests. How do you personally gauge where this team is at? You know, you've, you've been around it for a long time as far as that improvement level day in and day out. Uh, I think it's a special group. Uh, everyone that we have, we wish we were still able to have guys like Matt, guys that are done for the year or whatever. We wish that we could have them all, but to have them here, Boise was just more motivation, but we know that we have a special group. We're excited to see what else is put in front of us. Um, whether Tom tells us, you know, later in the week or next week, there's another game when, when those two week buys or whatever, uh, we hope that we can just continue to, to do what we know that we can do. Um, we're taking care of business the way that we know that we can, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, no, building off that a little bit here, do you personally want to see more games added onto the schedule considering you only have two left and the season's probably going to stretch on for another month or so here? Uh, yeah. Um, just like a lot of people say that it would be nice to add another game, whatever game it is, uh, to be able to play, treasure these opportunities that we do get to play. Um, who knows how many teams will be able to play 11, 12 games, but to just play a full season or whatever games that we have, um, will be awesome just for everyone. Everyone wants to play that two-week bye. No one's trying to have a two-week bye. Um, we want to just continue to go. There's Neil Pau. Now here's the head. Here's the uh, quarterback, Zach Wilson. Hey, Zach. Nice job out there. Uh, just wanted to ask, you get the big play to start the game, and then it seemed like it took a little bit to kind of get settled in. A couple of drives didn't go as well. What 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 did you guys adjust to, to start getting things clicking and really start putting putting a lot of points on the board? Yeah, you know, it happens sometimes. Those guys made some plays. They came out with a good scheme, and we had to adjust. You know, that was the biggest thing. And, um, you know, really it was a lack of a lack of capitalizing on plays. You know, they made some good plays. You know, I really don't think it was anything we did. Uh, we adjusted to what they were doing, and uh, we decided to stretch the field a little more. I think that was really when it changed. We decided to start calling a little more drop back and uh, full progression reads and uh, really putting in the receiver's hands to go win. Um, you know, down the field and they, they did a great job. The O-line gave me, gave me a lot of time and, um, you know, helped the, helped the run game open up a little bit more too. And we, we got the ball moving. You guys are 8-0 for the first time since 2001. And this was your first win on the Smurf turf. What type of statement do you think tonight's game gave out to the nation? Yeah, you know, really, uh, again, that we're a good team. You know, I really don't think there's much else to say about that. People still doubted us and, um, you know, I don't blame them for that. You know, really, uh, you know, it's hard to tell with how our uh, season has, has been switched up, but really each week is another opportunity to keep proving ourselves. And uh, tonight was a big one for us. These guys don't like to lose at home. Um, and to come out with a win like that was huge. Uh, you know, so I think that statement continues and um, it means nothing unless we keep winning. Go ahead, Jay. Okay, sorry about that. Zach, I know you don't like to talk about two years ago and what happened here. But uh, con contrast the feeling you have tonight to that two two years ago, and and do you feel like you got some redemption for that at all? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say redemption. You know, I really I really think this is a new year, a new team, um, new team for them, new team for us. Um, you know, everything everything is different. You know, compared to two years ago, it's 
Um, little flashbacks though, you know, when you're walking around and you're seeing the hotel and, uh, all that stuff, you know, some memories fly by and, um, you know, but last, you know, two years ago was upsetting loss, I would say. Um, but a great learning experience for me, the rest of the team, the situations, you know, I, I remember watching that film, the film last year and the film from 2018 and, and just saw how much better we are as a team, you know, like, like that year, you know, you really, you really thought, you know, we really thought we were a good team, uh, 2018, but we go back and watch that film now and we're like, geez, we are so much better now. You know, I think that gave us confidence going into the night because we really knew that we have progressed a lot as a football team. Let's go Mitch, Sean, Jared. Yeah, Kalan, or Zach, uh, Kalani mentioned uh, earlier that you guys in, in the halftime locker room were, were already talking amongst each other, trying to make adjustments on the fly. Kind of maybe describe uh, what that halftime locker room was like uh, as you guys it set off a 35-point second half. Yeah, you know, the halftime adjustment was just keep the energy up, keep going. You know, we knew uh, we had some other tricks up our sleeve. We knew we'd be able to come out and, and fire. You know, not every drive is going to be perfect and – um, you know, credit to those guys. They're a great football team. You know, even even still, we put up that many points, but they're still great. You know, I, I would I would never say anything different. That's a good football team, a great defense. You know, we had to we had to earn that tonight. And so, really, the adjustment was was really just getting to the getting to the offense and try and find what things we can adjust and 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 really just react to what they were giving us. It was really nothing special, but keeping the energy up. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, Zach, we've talked a lot about you. You obviously had a great game tonight, but how easy did Tyler make it with the way he was running and some of the reads he was making and, and a couple he had a couple nice blocks for you too there. Just how easy was he making it out there tonight? Yeah, the run game always helps, man. Uh, that was a huge key in, in this game was being able to establish that run game. Uh, the big boys up front did a great job. We were making them have to respect it. And, uh, you know, there was times where we had wide open throws because – of uh, their ability to to gash them in the run, and those guys were biting, and we were able to throw the ball over their head a couple times because of it. Zach, Kalani talks all the time about how he just wants the team to keep getting better. That's kind of his mantra that we've we've heard week after week. You guys have passed every test that we've seen. How do you gauge that improvement that he's always demanding? How do you kind of gauge where you're at in that process? Yeah, you really gauge it by watching the film, not looking at the score. Um, there was no score on this game. You can, you always learn something. You know, we're all going to go back and watch this on the flight, and there's going to be a bunch I want back. You know, there's going to be some some of the O-linemen want back, the coaches want back, whether it's calls or, um, you know, the defense or even hands team tonight want back. And so learning experiences and everything, um, no matter how much you win a game, uh, there's always something you can learn from, and, and that's, the, that's the message each week, going in watching that film and finding what we can get better at and uh, improving on that. Okay, last two questions, Hunter, then Norma. Yeah, Zach, you're having a really special season, uh, but you've got some wideouts and some playmakers out there on the field with you that are helping you uh, do your job really well. You're able to get them the ball into some tight windows where they still got to make the grab. Uh, what can you say about Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney, Isaac Rex, Neil Pau, just kind of the weapons you have on this offense? Yeah, man, I can't say enough about those guys, really. Um tremendous progress from those guys. You know, I'm so happy for all of them. And, uh, you know, their confidence is, is shooting up each week, each, each, each play, you know, there's plays tonight where I know it's tight coverage or, um, I know the throw is going to be hard or maybe I underthrew it or whatever. And those guys are coming back and making plays, you know, uh, Dax smoke someone on out and up and, 
Um, I tried to drive him the ball and it was underthrown. He did a great job coming back and making a catch. You know, there's another one on the sideline to him, try to throw a back shoulder on the run, scramble drill. And that dude's getting, getting dragged down, hugging the sideline and coming up with it. And, um, you know, we saw the great catches from Neil and Isaac as well. You know, Neil, Neil played his heart out tonight. And then, you know, Gunner had his flashes there at the end too, where he's coming back and, and making tremendous catches, knowing he's going to get blown up by a safety on one of the plays that we called and he holds on and, and he takes it. And, uh, you know, I'm super, super happy for those guys, man. They've been, they've been balling out and making my job look easy. The rivalry with Boise State is still fairly new in comparison to the other rivalries that you guys have. And Boise State has arguably won the series as of last year. But with two back-to-back wins against them, do you think maybe BYU is turning the tides in that rivalry? Yeah, really, it's hard to say. You know, they're a great team. And every year they got a new team and we got a new team. So uh, the approach is the same every single year. Um, you know, it's great to come with a, a win two years in a row, but, you know, we even had a different team last year, different guys playing last year. And so um, really we're just focusing on right now. And it was a, a great, a great win for us right now. Cause that's a, that's a good football team. Zach Wilson with another game, big game for BYU. Now here's the head coach Kalani Sitaki. Happy we got the win. Proud of our players, proud of our team, our coaches, uh, support staff. Everybody worked hard for this win. Glad that it worked out the way that it did. I mean, um, really proud, proud of the effort that we saw from our boys. Uh, a lot of credit to Boise State, really good team. Um, and we knew that it had come down to controlling the trenches and um, trying to be physical in their, their physical team. You know, and I'm glad that things went our way and, and we were able to capitalize. And there's still a lot of things to fix, um, a lot of things that we know we can do better and improve upon. So um, got a lot, of, a lot of bodies on the field. We're able to get a lot of guys, get some playing time, some experience, and looking forward to building off of this and getting better next week. And, um, you know, I'm just really proud of the, of the physical play our guys had and, and the effort that they showed. And, and um, love the way that they played with sportsmanship tonight as well. So it was a good moment at the end of the game. We were able to say a prayer with, with Boise State in midfield and share that moment and all the time of the pandemic and, and uh, you know, a lot of things going on in this world. It was good to be able to do that with our opponents and share that moment with them. So thank you for the win and let's keep rolling. Let's keep getting better and, and uh, get better for next week. Take any questions you guys have. Okay, we'll start with Mitch, Jared, and Norma. Go ahead, Mitch. Kalani, what was the message at half that, that kind of maybe spearheaded that that 35-point output in the second half to, to put this thing away? Oh, I, I think the guys were really frustrated at, at their the performance because the first half wasn't our best. And I, I know um, for the offense and defense, when I got into the locker room, um, when I walked in, they were already talking. There's already conversations going on. Leaders were speaking up and it was a good moment. I didn't have to say much. And so it was a good moment for me to take a step back, let the, let the players and, and, and the leaders uh, conversate with each other. I went and talked to the coaches, um, some things that we could do, some adjustments we can make on, on, on offense, defense and special teams and, and get out there and challenge the players. And, and, but the, the truth is the players had had the answer for themselves. They, they know exactly what's expected from our coaching staff, from me as a head coach, they know how, what our standard is and they knew we weren't playing to our standard. And so they corrected it. And by the time I, I was able to talk to the team before we took the field, they were ready to go. And so uh, I, I, I'm just thankful that we have coaches and, and leaders on this team that, that take the initiative themselves and they don't need to listen to the head coach. Uh, we, all the, the head coach speech has been going on all week in preparation for these guys. So they knew what, what the expectations and the demand and the, the standard is for us. 
Kalani, this team's talked all year about how it's a it's a joint unit, offense, defense, special teams. It really felt like the the first half you had to rely on the defense. They held Boise State. They gave up the one long drive, but held them to to just three points in that half, and that kind of allowed the the offense time to get rolling. How big was the defensive performance, particularly there in the first half? Listen, we had a great game plan on all three phases. Felt really good about our coaches, our coordinators. Felt great about Ed Lamb and the, and the things that he was able to do to, to get our, our uh, special teams ready and Jeff Grimes and our, and our offense and Elisa Tuyaki and our defense. So we had a great game plan going into this week, going to this game. Thankful that the players were able to execute it. They knew some of the issues when it wasn't working out. They knew what to, what to fix. But I give a lot of credit to our coaches getting them ready, you know, and, and uh, re- really not worried about the score and when things aren't going your way. You just, you just kind of stick to the fundamentals of the game. And and having our players, our coaches be focused on that, huge, huge positive for us. And so uh, we, we know that we're going to lean on, on all three phases as a team and, and back each other up. Uh, we want to be aggressive and, and play a, a team football game. This was a team win. And so uh, I know that there's times that the defense need to step up and times that the offense need to step up and special teams and saw some really good things from all three phases. But I'm just telling you, like, <clears throat> Ed Lamb and, and Elisa Tuyaki had a plan on defense and did a great job communicating it to the rest of the coaches and to the, to the players. Jeff Grimes, A-Rod, and the offensive bunch had a great game plan for the offense. And Ed Lamb had a great game plan for special teams. So all that stuff worked together. And there's the proof right there. So I'm really proud of our coaches and, and the things they were able to get done this week. Uh, you guys had your very first ranked opponent for the season. You guys have never won on the Smurf turf. What type of statement did tonight's game give out? Well, the focus on the team isn't to really talk about anything that's happened that they can't control. They can only control tonight. They can only control being ready and they can only control day to day and one play at a time. So keeping our guys focused is the key. I, I don't think the past could help you in, in this situation. And, and, you know, if we're just living the moment at this time, then we get to enjoy every part of it. And then really just that's the only thing you can address and, and improve on. This team has been razor sharp in their focus and I've been really proud of them. And it hasn't, it's, it's everybody included. I, I mean, the coaching staff, the, the support staff and the players, everyone is on, on the same page here. And, um, Love seeing you as a head coach. Okay, for those that might be first timers with us, um, just make, if you want to ask a question, make sure to use the raise the hand function so I can see you want to ask a question and we'll try to get to you. But our next three will be Jake, Jay, and Mitch. Yeah, Kalani, I wanted to ask you about the end of the first half. You guys not getting the field goal team out there. What exactly went down with that? Well, we knew going into that that side of the field is going into a a, a wind. And so we needed to get closer. And obviously it was fourth down. We were running out of time, ran out of timeouts. And so we were trying to get a play called. There was a miscommunication with everyone getting lined up. And and I I mentioned there's things that we need to fix and get better. And that was one of them. You know, and and we left some points out on the the field. That's okay. We we were able to just keep playing and stay, stay with it. We knew what the issues were. It wasn't like we went into halftime saying, oh, crap, what do we do? We knew what the issues were. We had to address them and correct them, and and there it is. You know, we have we have players that, that can figure it out, and the coaches that can figure it out. And I'm just thankful that they were able to do it. But um, those are missed opportunities that I it bugs me as a head coach. And I know it bugs you guys as media members. You want us to score a lot of points. I get it. You know, but the the question was, do we run out our our hurry up field goal unit at that point, and we're going into a stiff wind, or do we? 
just try to get a playoff and then hopefully get a first down because it was fourth. Hopefully get a first down, spike the ball, and get a, a closer field goal for our kicker. Kicker wanted to kick it, and I made a decision that we should just try to get a play. It took a, a while because we didn't get the, the, the call communicated to everyone. So we didn't snap the ball on time, something that we can work on. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that fixed uh, tomorrow and, and working on Monday. Cool. I mean, you left Zach in a little longer than we've seen you leave him in in past games when the game was in control. What, what, what was your plan there? What, why did you do that? They were kicking onside kick. And we wanted to manage the ball and manage the game. And uh, nobody that we trust more than Zach at that point. You know, we felt like there was a, a swing opportunity and we wanted to make sure they put him in there and communicate. We, we had some miscommunication on plays, obviously, even when Zach was in. But, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we get the right call, secure the football and make sure we make the right checks. And so that was the, the key for that. Well, it, wasn't anything, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It's just, we're just playing football. Speaking of Zach Kalani, uh, has he made his case loud and clear that he should be in the Heisman race? I'm not even worried about that. Just trying to get better. We, you know, he he's going to want to get better, and, and he's he's he's. You think you guys are frustrated? I'm frustrated about that end of the half. You should talk to Zach. He's frustrated, so he wants to get better, and um, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. We're trying to keep this team focused on getting better and uh, control what we can control, and that's. Let everybody else do the talking, whether it's praise or criticism. Let them do all the talking. We know what we need to fix, and we're just going to keep our team focused on getting that done. Okay, let's go Jake and Norma. Kalani, I wanted to ask you, you guys have two games remaining in the season here, but there's six weeks approximately of the season left. Do you have hopes and aspirations you guys will add more games as the season gets closer to an end? Tom Homo's a great athletic director. He's done a great job at organizing the schedule. I think a lot of teams know how to communicate with him and with us. And, uh, you know, we he told me to get the team ready to play 12 games early back in August. And so we're ready for 12 games. And if that works out, then great. If not, then we'll just be thankful for what we have. But uh, a lot of gratitude for him and his staff to get this the schedule going. And gratitude for Boise for taking this game and for the other opponents to taking our uh, be putting us on their schedule. So, you know, with all that being said, we're just thankful to keep playing this game. And, and um, we know we, we, we may have some bias here and there, but, like, we're going to get better. We're going we're gonna to find ways to get better during the week and improve whether we play a game or not. And then quickly, any update on Lopini and or George Udo? Yeah, George um, didn't look like he was going to be able to return, but we should get him back. And same thing with Lopini. So um, looking at the the full story, I mean, when I say that, it's like you just know that they're, they're nothing showing that they're going to be out for the rest of the season. So that's a positive. We'll keep working with that. And I think that that's the limit of the injuries, Brett. Is that right? Yeah, so – I uh, feel good about those guys. I mean, you hate seeing guys on, on crutches or guys with ice packs on, but that's, that's um, you know, we just keep working with it and just fortunate that, that they weren't too serious and we're looking forward to getting them back as soon as possible, even as early as the next game. After seven straight weeks of playing games, you guys are having uh, your first bye week since the whole COVID debacle and playing, um, taking some time after Navy. What are you going to be focusing on? What do you hope to see from your players during this time? Improvement. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
you know, if we have to scrimmage or do something to, to simulate uh, opportunity to improve on what we did this this week tonight, then then that's what we have to do. But improvement, get get guys that are that are banged up, healed up, and then be stronger as a team. That's what we need to do. Take advantage of the time that we have, and stronger, just not physically, but mentally, learning the game of football and situational football. And that's where you know we can do a better job. I, I think you try to cover as many situations. We had a um, a kickoff that was a little bit. Uh, scary you know Caleb was trying to decide whether or not to let it run out of bounds and and he had to decide just to either cover it up right at that moment or because they had a couple guys barreling down and those are things that we need to we need to shore up we we, we gave up a onsides kick on uh, um, in the fourth quarter and um, you know we'll, we'll have to take a look at that and, and, and test our guys even more but it's good to see them respond back and cover up the next one good job by Boise on the execution of it all we had to take a timeout to get our hands team out there and and uh, I'm glad that we were able to get get the next one. We gave up some big plays at the in the fourth quarter, some big throws that just were unfortunate. We you know we we had some miss um, some mistakes, and it's my fault as a coach. You know we got to make sure we communicate to our players the coverage and make sure that they're executing well. So we just you know just uh, that those are things that on the top of my head that I wish we can improve on, and I'm really looking forward to getting better next week. And that's that's the key. We're gonna find a way to get better. There's BYU coach Kalani Sataki after the Cougars win and they climb a spot in the polls to eighth, passing Georgia, who, of course, lost to Florida. Uh, when we come back, David Locke looking ahead to the draft. I know the countdown is on. We're, what, nine days away now. It's almost here. David Locke next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time to talk with David Locke, our weekly visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, my head is going to explode. November is the time for football, and I got the Masters in the NBA draft. I, this is all out of whack. I don't know what I'm doing. Ah! I think I'm with you. I think the Masters, from a TV standpoint, the Masters will be fascinating because every sporting event that has been off kilter um, has had just terrible ratings. And the Masters is so unique and has such a uh, narrow focus of fan base and is such a one-off experience, you would think that it should be fine. So it'll be interesting, but the horses that ran at the wrong time, nobody watched. You know, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, Preakness had the worst ratings of any sporting event, and they're just off time. Those one-off 
niche sport events. So I'm pretty curious to watch what happens with the Masters TV ratings. And then, um, you know, we should be playing basketball right now. So just getting ready for the NBA draft actually just feels normal to me. I don't know anything about the draft. That's part of the deal is it's coming when there's so much going on and usually you got time to do a deep dive, which is what is required for underclassmen coming out and uh, foreign guys coming over. And uh, what do you know for sure about this draft? So I've watched a decent amount so far, so let me try to give you my synopsis. There is not the Zion Williamson, Ja Morant talent, obviously, on the board. We all knew at this point last year that there were two really special players uh, that were there. there. You know, some people believe in James Wiseman. Some people don't. Some people believe in Anthony Edwards. Some people don't. There's a, probably a tier at the top that's a little better. The next tier of players, I actually almost feel like could be, you know, without a lot of stretching, could be 20 deep. Um, there's a abundance of players that do the right things or have the most important skills. So to me, the two most important things you have to have at this point in the draft is, or at this point in the NBA, is elite athleticism or be able to stroke it, really be able to shoot it. Um, and the almost everyone is one of those two right now. Um, the bodies and the physical uh, size of these guys is amazing. Just down the list. You just don't have the six foot three shooting guard. You know, the CJ McCollum has turned out to be a good player, but that's a pretty rarity where that six foot two shooting guard actually turns out to work. Um, we haven't had that. There aren't a lot of those little pieces in this puzzle. So I find that if you think about players, DJ as okay, bona fide superstar, LeBron franchise changing Anthony Davis. I don't think there's that all-star there might be i don't know who it is though just by numbers there should be an all-star in this draft but maybe not then you get to the next tier which is starter rotation player you know roster non-rotation player i actually think that the chance of robert wooder who's a kid out of mississippi state who's in the 20s and the chance of killian hayes who's a french kid who's being talked about in the top six of being a starter are about the same. Um, I think the kid out of Arizona, Josh Green, um, I think he could really be a starter in the NBA. Um, the same way that Tyrese Halliburton could be a starter in the NBA, but also might not. And he's talked about being six or seven. So I find when you start to tier them, you know, between starter, if you assume they're not going to be all-stars and now they're starters or rotation players, that gap gets mammoth. And I think because of that, You'll see a lot of movement, and you'll see a lot of people moving into the draft, and I think you won't see an order that matches any mock drafts because it's really going to be eye of beholder and what you uh, need for your team. So do the Jazz try to fill a need or just take the proverbial best player available? Um, I think we're pretty well set at center. Um, I feel like we're pretty well set at primary ball handler. And so if you were to draft either of those two, unless you truly loved uh, one of those two players, I think they'd have a hard time getting on the floor. So I think I might take the best player available that's not a center and not a primary ball handler. So, you know, like he's probably not going to be a first-round pick, but I really, really, really like the kid out of San Diego State. Um, but he Flynn? doesn't match. Yeah, Flynn. But he's he's doesn't he doesn't. I'm concerned, I mean, how small he is. Um, 
he is, you know, he's just not, he's not big. Um, and I think you've really got, I think the six, unless you're really, really special, I think the six foot one point guard is disappearing. Um, and um, so I think the, uh, you know, but I like him an awful lot. But uh, for us, like, how's he playing, right? Like, are we playing him and Donovan together? Well, if you don't really think you can play him with Donovan and Donovan's going to be playing 36 minutes a night, well, then I'm not sure I need to draft a guy who's going to get me 12 minutes a night. Like, who's that's his, you know, if, if we have a center and we really like him, but Rudy's playing 36 minutes a night, like, I, I, I don't know how we're, how we're using him in a manner that gets me more than 12 minutes a night. So I... I would take best player available that that has a route to the court. I am uh, I'm curious with some of the free agent decisions that will come up quickly after the draft, and I think one of the financial decisions that's out there, which is kind of tricky with an ownership change going on because the owners really got to sign off on something like this, but. Is it better to pay Conley a lot of money for one year, or is it better to give him some more money, have him opt out, and give him a, depending on what you think, a two- or three-year deal, build some more money in it for him, but maybe smooth out the number to give the team a, a little relief and not have one gigantic year on the contract? Or would you rather just do that, because then you're going to have a gigantic year on Donovan's deal? That seems like a really important decision. In the middle of an ownership change, it seems like a difficult one, too. Yeah, I don't, you know, Dennis is so well prepared. And I mean, the signature whenever you talk to anybody about Dennis and Justin is the preparation when, you know, I've talked to people who've worked for them or around them. I mean, they just constantly talk about how brilliant the preparation and the amount of time and preparation it's put in. And so while I understand what you're saying and it does make sense that you're asking, the, you know, which boss are you asking this question to, um, I, I feel as though. Dennis is so well, and Justin are so well prepared, and the whole front office that you know they're going to be able to put it into a pretty clear picture to whomever they're presenting it to, which is you know, hey, if we do this, this is the advantages, and these are the disadvantages. The fact of the matter is, there's two there's two parts of this decision that I think what I think make it difficult is there's two parts of this decision that I think have to come first. Um, one is, you know, from your cap situation, what other moves are you take are are you making and are you better off having zero on the books next year or twenty on the books in that in that position, in that role? Um, so I think, you know, that would be that's the first one. That's probably the one. The other wild card that I don't wanna like I'm not making anything up here, like I'm not but we better like so the discussion that we all are having is whether Mike Conley at one year, what, 34, would take not opt out to take a two-year or a three-year, probably $60 million and figure he's going to make $60 million with the Jazz over the next three years instead of making, you know, 52 if he goes to and signs a deal, two-year deal with someone else next year between. Like, you're just, that's the game. The assumption there is that Mike Conley wants to be in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we actually don't know anything. Mike's, you know, such a nice guy. He, he never expressed anything. But, you know, does Mike Conley want to be on a team where he's not the primary ball handler? Like, does he want to be on a team where, like, what, what's, you know, like this, that wasn't a great year for him. I, I don't think he had a 
you know, due to COVID and some other things. But I, I don't think he had a particularly enjoyable year, partially due to a hamstring and probably nothing to the Jazz fault. But if you were to ask him, like, was that the best year of your career or the least favorite year of your career, I'm pretty certain if those were the two choices, which one he would answer. So... Oh, wait a minute, what about, but what about, whoa, 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 what about going forward, hey, the first half of the year was a mess, but I thought, and you can pick a date in February, I'd have to look it up, but I thought there was a date in about February forward where he was a much better player, he was clearly, he was A, healthy, and B, had had gone through the adjustment period and figured out where he fit in on the team, I thought it was good after that, so, right, so, and and he knows that too. Yeah, and maybe that's his last memory, so what I'm bringing up is irrelevant. But none of us, I've never heard anyone discuss. Does he want it? Does he want it? Does he want it? Right. Like, that has just not been discussed at all, is whether or not Mike Conley wants to, like, if Mike Conley wants to opt out of his contract to sign a three-year contract to make a little bit more money and give the Jazz flexibility, the key piece of the whole thing is, does Mike Conley want to do it? Yep. Not does the Jazz want Mike Conley to do it, but does Mike Conley want to do it? And part of that might be Mike Conley having new questions for new ownership, which comes back to the whole, wow, this is a difficult time to get it done. Not impossible, but, you know, difficult. I think if I were a Jazz fan, it wouldn't so much fear does he want to be in Utah. It's what kind of a deal can he get from a better team where he's closer to a championship? I think the days of him being a primary player on an elite team are gone, but he can still be a really good player on a team that's closer to a championship. If you're a Jazz fan who wants to hold on to Mike Conley, that's a scenario that would worry me. Right. I, I thought the way Miami used a similarly aged Goran Dragic, uh, admittedly a Goran Dragic whose leg problems are more severe than Mike Conley's, but I still thought it was an interesting thing to watch, right? So they had him come off the bench. They lo- lowered his wear and tear by having him play a lot of minutes against non-tier one players. He closed the majority of games uh, – even with, but Tyler Hero and, and some of the other kids, you know, also had the ball in their hands a lot. Um, Jimmy Butler. And, um, and he, you know, and then when it got to be playoffs, Goran Dragic not only started, but was brilliant. Um, and I think there, I think, I don't care about starting really in this conversation, but I think the managing of, how Goran Dragic and who he matched up against. Guarding Russell Westbrook one night, Dame Lillard the next night, and, you know, whomever the, you know, Steph Curry the night after at 32 years old and and smaller than all of them is brutal. And I think that there's something to be said in how Miami used Dragic. Now you do that, and now Donovan Mitchell unless you have somebody that you're, you know, Royce O'Neal is your starting two and you put him next to Donovan and try to hide Donovan a little bit. But you're not careful. Donovan's the one guarding Russell Westbrook, um, Steph Curry, and Dame Lillard on back-to-back nights. I'm wondering about the owner. You have a unique situation here where he grew up as a fan of the team, but he's obviously an astute businessman or he wouldn't be able to own the team. So when it comes to these decisions regarding the team, how do you think this man balances being a fan and at the same time being a businessman? 
you know, we can only go off the models by which we've seen this take place. So let's just assume for a second he's going to be hands-on and active. I can't imagine I would spend $1.6 billion on a team and not be at every, you know, right? Like if the three of us, would we? can we all admit, like, if we spent $1.6 billion on a team, like I'm going to every practice, I'm probably sitting in every player personnel meeting. I'm going to want to know what the coach, like I want in, right? Like I just paid access. I want access to everything. You with me? Well, yeah, you, you deserve it. You own it. Right. So let's assume for a second he's hands-on. Now now we can kind of try to figure out what hands-on is. So, uh, And I don't know how much time he still plans to spend with Qualtrics. Like Mark Cuban was young, brilliant business person, with, and wasn't involved in broadcast.com anymore. So the Mavericks were his job. And I think we've seen him evolve over time, um, both you know as an owner, and I think we've seen his youthfulness and brilliance and outside expertise really push the league into new areas and be an incredibly great asset to the league from a bigger picture. So I think that's a model that we can see with Ryan Smith. We DJ, you've talked. Um, well, I don't know if you've talked about it on the air, but you know, you and I, I don't want to steal your ideas in a private conversation, but I mean, you've talked about Larry's evolution as an owner. We saw that firsthand and you can elaborate on that. Um, and I think, you know, if we look around the league, you're, you're seeing a lot of these young owners come in with, who've had great success in the, in the tech world predominantly. And now they, this is their new venture. And I think there's, you know, you, we can look around at other owners to see how they've done it, but, um, and watch them evolve. So when you look at this schedule coming up, how much is depth going to matter? This 72-game schedule that ends before the Olympics and starts December 22nd, are they? have you done the math on this? Do they have to go back to some four games and five nights to get this in? In which case, how you build your roster matters because you got to build some depth in when you've got key players over 30? I don't think so. Um I'm hearing 15 back-to-backs, which is a few more, but I'm guessing that almost all of those, and I might be 100% wrong here, I've, I don't know this, uh, I'm guessing that those back-to-backs could be without travel. So we go to Oklahoma City and play Tuesday, Wednesday. Fly to Dallas, play Friday, Sunday. You're not playing four games in five nights. You're playing four games in six nights, and you're playing them in two cities. You're only taking three plane flights. The wear and tear is less. And, you know, you used to play those four games in probably seven nights with five plane flights. So you're playing one more game in the six days because of the fact that you're on a condensed schedule, but you're doing it with two fewer plane flights and probably less wear and tear. You know, Dennis kind of alluded to something like that in his press conference, talking about how to minimize travel. So you're probably on to something there. I didn't completely see how they'd pull off what he was talking about, but he said they needed to learn lessons from Orlando and that the players routinely said that the the less travel was a big factor because the shooting percentages went through the roof, uh, but probably for multiple reasons. And the players thought fewer plane flights, well, in the case of Orlando, one to get there and then no more after that, uh, were a big part of that. So, All right, David, well, we are out you of know, time. Would, oh, go ahead. DJ, I would share. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have anyone trying to dunk on me, and I'm not trying to hit a crossover jumper. But I have always said that the fatigue of the NBA season is the plane flight. You know, I don't know what it's like to play back-to-back days. But I, you know, I can, when I 
so my fatigue is that I'm staring at my computer screen. And I can't take in any information, right? So the computer's not trying to dunk on me. It's, it's not the same. But I am living the same life. And I, I will tell you, it's plane flights are the item that wears me out. David, thanks for the time. We appreciate it as always. Thank you, guys. There's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.